Kapoor actually puts out a Muscatel, um, which is to me like the perfect um, Pisco for either sipping meat with a dessert because it's dry, but has some of those beautiful baking notes. Hey everybody, welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. The goal of this show is to understand the inner workings and evolution of mixology, hospitality, and community. As I further my own knowledge of the field, I'm inviting you to join me. You'll hear me interview people from around the industry about their work and beliefs. If you like what you hear, the best way to keep up is to subscribe via the podcast app you use. And if you think others will like this, I invite you to share an episode or write a review. Your words help grow our audience. And you can keep up with the latest news via our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, or see what we're working on via Instagram. And please reach out. I'd enjoy hearing what you liked, learned, and what else you'd like to see me dig into. So let's get into it. My guest today is Lynette Marrero. She began her career in the industry at the renowned Flatiron Lounge as a cocktail waitress. But after some time there, she eventually transitioned to bartending, working there and at several other establishments as a bartender, but increasingly in the role of consulting and co-designing a number of programs and many that were award-winning, like the West Village's Eletheria. After shadowing at Sacapa Rum for two years in Guatemala, Lynette went on to create her own company, Drinks at Six, pursuing a mission of cultivating a new generation of cocktail bartenders and elevating the bar at restaurants. In 2011, she worked with bartender Ivy Mix to co-found Speedrack, an all-female bartending competition that aims to place female mixologists in the spotlight while simultaneously raising money for breast cancer research, education, and prevention. Lynette is one of two bartenders featured on the platform Masterclass and has won numerous awards and honors, including Altos's Bartender's Bartender Award in 2021, which is the only peer-voted award in the world's 50 best bars. Most recently, she was the bar director for two New York establishments, Lama Inn and Lama San. And currently, she is the head of education for Bar Convent Brooklyn, a two-day event for bar and beverage professionals to network, learn about new trends, techniques, and products in the domestic and international markets. So it was um, it was fun to talk to Lynette a bit for me, um, because while it can happen to a number of people in the industry, uh, this was not her original chosen uh, profession. Uh, her work at uh, the Flatiron Lounge, where it all began, was kind of designed to subsidize income while she was... Uh, working towards something else, but uh, fell in love with the industry. She, uh, despite uh, my memories failing me, I think she got her start at 05 or 06 at the Flatiron Lounge. But a thing that I found um, great is uh, uh, Lynette has achieved some level of renown in the industry, and yet she seems to really kind of have taken on a number of roles that are very much um, about advancing the industry, uh, whether that's her work with Speedrack um, at Bar Convent Brooklyn. Uh, she is the director of education overseeing kind of what's coming into there in terms of what uh, guests can expect, uh, of course, alongside of a committee that's helping her. But I felt like that was 
uh, something that's important, you know, to have people who are looking into not only mentoring, but putting in place the building blocks to help um, drive an industry forward is important. Uh, as for many people looking into the cocktail industry now, you see so many cool things happening, but still we're really talking about a generation ago, 20 years ago, um, there was very little happening or at least very little happening outside of a couple of pockets. Uh, I did kind of plug Lynette for a couple of things that I thought were fun during the interview. Uh, we talked a little bit about Pisco. So uh, uh, Lama Inn and Lama San are, have kind of a Peruvian focus. And so uh, Pisco is something that um, uh, she certainly has had a have a growing interest in and knowledge of in order to kind of really uh, drive that program forward. And for many a lay people out there, I do think that um, Pisco is something that people might enjoy, but have not really plumbed the depths of. And so we kind of get into that a little bit. For Bar Convent, which is part of what uh, we sat down to talk about, there are a couple of things that I thought were fun and we get into in the interview, but we talk about there's going to be uh, we, we, we cover various topics like, okay, there's, this year there's going to be a lot of things on sustainability and whatnot. But another thing that I called out during the discussion that I just felt like was extra important for people to think about, she talks a lot about that there'll be uh, focus on design. And I think that's design of the bar program, of the space, but also even uh, I brought up menus. And it, it just, uh, with so much happening out there, at times some menus um, there's so many complex words happening on them, or if they're all shoved into a tiny page, I think it can create a very uh, trying position for some customers. So I think it could be a very useful thing for people. Um, if you're not able to attend this year's Bar Convent or are just in the industry and are always looking for more resources, I asked Lynette, I was like, where should people turn if they can't come to Brooklyn in the middle of June? And she said, uh, the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation. It's an advocacy and action nonprofit group that was created by the industry for it. And a lot of times can have access to a lot of resources for people. So it was um, it was a real treat to speak to Lynette um, and to kind of, for someone who has um, seen and done so much in the industry. And so uh, I think you guys will enjoy this um, conversation with her. You should definitely follow her at Drinks at Six. And, uh, and so with that, my conversation with Lynette Marrero. Lynette, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. You have a rich and long career in the bartending industry. As I understand, you got your start at the Flatiron Lounge many years ago. And so with that, I'm curious because when I see all the work you're doing, you're obviously just a huge booster for the industry. But it could be easy for some people after all these years to become a little bit uh, jaded or soured, could be a more apropos term uh, for this industry. But what has you excited these days about the industry? I mean, what's not to be excited about the industry? It's, it's you know, continually growing. Um, there are, you know, a bunch of new people coming into the industry and they're coming into it at a point um, that is very different from when I got into craft cocktails and, and the opportunities through, you know, social media and all the digital content and things that are happening in addition to the kind of possibilities that can happen 
with cocktail bars and, and restaurant bars is just so much more um, vast. You know, there's so there's more thought about it. There's more funding to do really cool creative concepts. Um, you know, the last few weeks I've been judging comps uh, globally and in the U.S. and there have been people who are making it to the top who have only been bartending for a year. So the the talent pool that is is coming in is really motivated, talented, and they've kind of learned by watching it on the screens. And, and, uh, and that's really cool just to see that energy and they're coming in from a different point. You know, they're, they're, they now can come back and start learning all the things we had to learn first, which is like the classics, but they already know a lot about complexity of, of ingredients. And then it's, it's fun to kind of be able to take those uh, younger students and, and be like, all right, now let's fill that in with all these other information that is a, the foundation that will make you more successful. So what you're saying uh, is kind of has my interest peaked. So it, it, it sounds like you're saying that um, a lot of people that are taking the industry by storm right now uh, might have a lot of uh, creative knowledge, but they're not necessarily rooted in the same traditional classics and families. Am I, am I hearing that right? A bit. I think they, they come in with a, a, a very far advanced um, technique or things that they've seen, you know, so they're coming in at a, at a high level, very creative. Um, but then it is to kind of teach them the why, you know, it's like they've learned how they've already learned the, the advanced part of, you know, coming up with your own creations and to teach them how to be more successful is to go back to where cocktails families came from and kind of drill some of the, um, the things that, you know, were very important at the beginning of craft, but that's, you know, things like uh, Speed Rack, that's why we focus on classic cocktails is because that was the foundation that Ivy and I both had uh, growing up in the cocktail world in New York. You could not have, not not have that because you have people like Audrey Saunders here and Julie Reiner and Dale DeGroff and Dave Wandridge and those people are coming into your bars um, and Gaz Regan. So you had to know those things in order to be successful at your job and to, uh, you know, not look like an idiot in front of those guests if they came into your bar. Um, but I think that's kind of that idea is that that training is so important, but it's it's going back to getting your foundation. And that's what's exciting is, you know, I, I think I was talking to somebody who had um, a few people on her team were training for our Speed Rack Charleston event. And she said, she, yeah, she's like, Rita was practicing and she, she did a pop-up, which was all spinning the classics because she was really excited to show off that she knew all this information now. Um, that isn't necessarily just off the cuff anymore. So it's, it's exciting to kind of go back and, and lay that foundation and then to help them have stronger base to, to then go back to being uh, super creative. You mentioned uh, Speed Rack just now, which you created in part with the Ivy Mix of Leanda. Would you mind uh, telling, telling the listeners a little bit about what Speed Rack is? Okay, so Speed Rack is um, an all-fem-identifying bartending competition uh, we started in 2011, um, and the whole goal of the um, competition at that time was that we did not see a lot of representation of women within the classic cocktail bars um, and in the top bars. They, they may have been there, but they weren't really featured, but they were also kind of working in the industry around, and we saw tremendous potential and talent, and so we wanted to create a cocktail competition um, that actually really focused on classics and, and pretty much what we saw as the benchmark of what people had to do on a, in a shift, which was crank out, um, you know, tons of cocktails. If you're working the service bar, they have to be classics. But then if, you know, four 
industry icons walked into your bar and sat in the only four seats right in front of your service. Well, you also need to make them for beautiful cocktails um, without, you know, in with a quick amount of time while, so you can get back to the rest of the tickets you have. And so that kind of became the whole idea of, of working fast and, and how to build your well and how to be efficient economy of movement, but also learn how to make these drinks um, really well. And then we, you know, we always did have uh, a dealer's choice at the end, because that's also so important to the DNA. And this is kind of, we're talking about being more creative, but we felt that training them on classics then made them have those dealer's choice cocktails that were stronger uh, rather than a full competition of just like, all right, wing it and make whatever your specialty, whatever is. Um, so it became that training ground. It became an opportunity to, to give that baseline of education to uh, more women. So that way they would, you know, be able to stand up in these interviews and go to these best bars. And if they were drilled or questioned about their class specs, they would have, uh, have them uh, in their back pockets. So it, it's, we've expanded all over the world. Um, I mean, we've done events in Canada, the UK, Australia, Asia. Uh, we just did uh, Mexico last year. We're doing Puerto Rico next week. Um, expanding further into Latam and Spanish-speaking European countries. Uh, we did the Grand Cayman and, and Russia online last year before <laughs> before we had time to, uh, while we were in the pandemic. So, um, you know, those were uh, remote uh, speed racks, that, but they were communities that wanted to um, kind of, it's fun when you see it around the world and the communities that are asking us to um, help them to these events because you can kind of see the same uh, time period where we were where there weren't, there were talented women, but not enough of them were, you know, really being spotlighted and in the top jobs. And then these are communities that want to promote that. So using the Speed Rock organization to build a community um, that can support each other and that um, really empower each other to uh, push harder and, and showcase what they can do. And we also, the whole, the whole principle, the whole thing is we raise money for breast cancer too. <laughs> Part of what brought us together today is Bar Convent in Brooklyn, uh, which happens in the middle of June. And, you know, while many of us have experienced in-person events here and there for a while, uh, tell, talk to people about why they should think about coming to uh, a convention this year. You know, I think, you know, for me, I think a little bit more about guarding my time uh, post this pandemic when I'm committing to something like an in-person event. So tell us a little bit about what people can expect at the event this year. Sure. So Bar Convent Brooklyn um, is one of the newer, um, well, it was the first uh, convention. Uh, Bar Convent started in Berlin um, and then expanded to the U.S. a few years ago. Um, and what it is, like when I went to the first event in Europe, I guess that's my first entry into what Bar Convent was. It's, it's the biggest uh, kind of convention all in one room of brands with uh, educational content, with uh, little activations, and it's very much uh, geared towards uh, trade uh, and people who also work, you know, within distributors. And I think I also think it's extremely beneficial for people who work in sales to kind of understand trade a little more and the kinds of things that we want and, and want to be to talk about. Um, but it's a, just a really great showcase to try. You know, I always discover something new, um, even from the first time I went to the Berlin show, and now when I came in Brooklyn, that there's always um, there's outreach to some sort of either region that has interesting spirits or the way they put together um, some of the sampling areas. 
it's just, I always find something that I like, oh, I haven't tried this or I haven't had this. I mean, you do it in a code two days. So it's um, very much, you know, walk around format consolidated. Um, and then there's always like fun guest pop-ups from people at different parts of bars. Um, there's cocktails happening, uh, food and all this fun stuff. So you kind of really get this broad scope. Um, and it's and it's funny being in a city like New York where, you know, I think sometimes we we have a, we have so much privilege of having a lot of the big suppliers here. Um, you know, usually you can get a lot of things distributed or New York is usually one of the first test markets for new things. Um, so we, we have a lot of privilege in that respect, but what I love about the show is that it puts it all together, um, in one space. And then you also just see, um, even the things, maybe if you do know them, they're activating a different way or offering education that's different. Um, that we have, I'm the, um, director of education, um, for the main stage for, for Barcomer Brooklyn, but there's also education that comes through when the distributors Park Street. So there's just so much to learn. And if you look at our roster, um, there's um, a lot of really interesting chats. We had a, I, I was lucky to have a wonderful group of talented industry folk um, who helped me in um, shaping the the whole uh, list of education. So that's really important to have more voices to help, you know, decipher through all the applications and say, okay, what what kind of platforms and education do we want to give this year? What voices should be heard? and what topics um, are most important when we have such a small stage. Um, you know, unlike Tales of the Cocktail, which has, you know, several, several days of chats, we have two days and very, so it has to be very highly curated. So our, um, our chats are really dialed in and, and we have some interesting topics that I'm really excited for. Um, so it should be a great show. Uh, there's some speakers who I'm really excited to see who I haven't seen so long. Uh, one is Kelsey Ramage of uh, the Trash Collective. Um, she's actually a former speed racker as well for many, many years. Um, but she's doing a great chat about kind of cocktails um, and designer theory. So really just a little bit of like the glam and things we can learn from design, which I think is really a really cool uh, way of looking at what we do and connecting it to the broader world and those kind of conversations I think are what people want to have. Um, we also have some um, chats, um, one about basically all the other agave, right? Mez uh, not just um, mezcal and tequila, but then Sotol, Bacanora, and all of these other categories uh, that are really beautiful. And maybe they are just a little misunderstood so far, or we don't know. And so I think that's going to be another great chat that brings um, in the crew. And then we have a few on menu design, which I think is, again, also a super fun and nerdy <laughs> topic to get into, um, where that even tackles things like what you were just talking about. We even are opening that discussion to digital menus and, and this kind of new way of communicating to our guests that we are faced with um, as, as remnants of the, um, the pandemic. So it's, it's a really great um, group. I think there's something for everyone, um, sustainable spirit seminar. So I think take a look at our education. If there's something that really resonates with you, I think that alone is a reason to come on by, but you will be able to, like I said, you'll taste some incredible things. Um, I know that there's, there should be some interesting stuff um, from Japan that's coming in. Um, I'm running also the Spirits of Peru booth. We had a booth last year, so please, you'll expect some really fun things uh, from Peru. And we hope to have, um, you know, one of each of the uh, 
grapes that can be used in Pisco uh, represented. So if you're interested in that category and have never had a chance to try them, um, you'll be able to swing by that booth and, and give that a shot. You mentioned Pisco just now. I imagine most people listening have heard of it, tasted it, had a Pisco sour. Uh, but knowing that you in particular, through your work at, uh, at Llama Inn, have uh, really kind of uh, worked to kind of dig very deep into this, tell us a little bit about what we should know about Pisco. And for someone who's looking to dive in a little bit deeper, where should they, where should they start? Yeah, I mean, the thing to know about it is that it's um, immensely um, expressive, right? I think there was a point where, you know, early on when I was in this industry, you needed one Pisco to kind of like just have it to make, to your point, classics, Pisco Sour, Pisco Punch, um, Pisco Tropical, um, any of those books, that cocktails that you just, you know, like David M. Bree's book or something. Um, But, you know, now I think, you see this nuance, right? And bartenders are comfortable working within one category with multiple expressions. And I think we've seen that mostly in something like mezcal or rum, right? Things that have a lot of terroir and that can be um, really like, but I think mezcal is a a closer um, comparison because it's all a white distillate, you know? So you're like comparing just nuances of the plant, um, how it's expressed, how the, the method um, and that happens in Pisco, really, like the aromatic grapes versus the non-aromatic grapes. Um, you know, there's uh, new brands who are starting to do single origin to kind of showcase what one winery can do. And to be able to taste that and understand that, um, you know, to start being able to distinguish between the fruity and aromatic aromas or a Pisco that might have a little bit more um, creaminess or some more like caramel on tones to inspire baking spices so there's a range within there that you can you know pull a few now and have a couple a a few at your bar in different places in your menu um to be able to to see how it how it's used and i think that's that's the excitement is tasting through all of them and and understanding how one works in a drink versus another that you're creating so i think that'll be the the fun for them to come try yeah, so threading that needle for people that might have missed it, you know, I think what what can be overlooked sometimes is this pisco. You know, it, it starts as as wine. So when we think about the flavor spectrum, you can get on wines. Ultimately, then we're just distilling that, and so depending on how that wine was brought to life, really impacts ultimately what someone tastes in that distilled spirit. Exactly, and it's more, you know, obviously the the, the distillation it it becomes, uh, you know, the way that they do it. It's also not unsimilar to grappa. It doesn't have that intensity of, of flavor, but you know, you, you definitely know when you taste a grappa that there, there's a difference when you taste different grappas. Um, so I think because again, that's another grape distillate. Now they do a little bit more with like having the, the must and a few other things where Pisco removes all those things. Um, so you're not, you're having this more light aromatic um, spirit, but you know, mezcal, same way. I think if you just taste through them, if you tasted three side by side, you could taste the difference between them because to your point, it is a wine, it's a nuance. And I think that's the fun education. Um, and that's why I'm really excited that brands like Studio are doing single origin because you could taste three of their their marks. Um, they only have one right now and two launching, but then you'll start to be able to taste through and say, oh, okay, so one brand is tasting these three from different single origins, how they change. But then there's been, you know, brands out there like Machu Pisco who have um, been always there um, their uh, La Diablada line, you can taste through it different years. And then their Italia, like which is different grapes, um, you kind of can taste the difference between the marks. Um, and then there's, you know, just 
quite a few brands that have a bunch of marks in the uh, market, Capuro, Pisco, um, and Barsol. So if you look for these in your in your store, you'll see different ones. You'll see Quebranta, you'll see Achalado, you'll see Achalado's a mix, you'll see Italia, you'll see, um, you know, you'll start to see more and more of the grapes. Um, Capuro actually puts out a Muscatel, um, which is to me like the perfect um, Pisco for either sipping meat with a dessert because it's dry, but has some of those beautiful baking notes. Um, but or you can use it in a cocktail um but it's it's really fun to kind of you know like use like the muscatel in like a milk punch style drink so there's lots of ways to play but it's a definitely a huge a discovery and then you know i last year too i saw we had a really big um italian spirits section which was also really fun to kind of have all of those in one place you know italian spirits have been doing really well uh for a long time we're heading this summer they have a lot of good things for for spritz and aperitivo hour and things like that. So um, that's always a fun uh, group as well. And then I really love discovering the the newer stuff in in Japanese, um, the shochus that are coming out, um, and different um, you know rums from um, Japan. There's just so much uh, you know their level of spirit making is is really incredible. So to be able to like taste through um, some of those things is really fun. Yeah, there is just so much nuance in the market this day, and it's um, it's just fantastic to see things proliferate the way they do. I was thinking uh, also when you talked about menu design, a uh, a couple of weeks ago I was at a cocktail bar, and uh, the drinks I had were, were were pretty phenomenal. But I will say that the menu, just uh, the way it was structured, the amount of words that were crammed onto a page, it was really hard to take it in, and so. Uh, I could see how a session like that could actually be very useful because even though I feel pretty capable in that space, I honestly felt pretty overwhelmed while I was reading that menu. Yeah. And to your point, like that's where I think um, Amanda's seminar is going to talk a little bit about being able to kind of use digital with, you know, there's ways you can have a menu that reads really clean and then use QR code or something to delve in. Um, you know, Asia is very far advanced in kind of using a lot of this kind of menu design and digital design um, just through like things like WeChat, like they have QR codes that have very elaborate um, backside, almost complete in the <laughs> metaverse um, cocktail offerings that show people almost what it's like to be in their bar. But in the bar, then there's also the menu that people can look at. So it's a really fascinating world to see how technology um, and traditional um, will move forward together. Because I think there's also the other side of this too. There is a bit of a, a want of a beautiful thing in your hand to touch and feel after so long of not being able to do that. Um, so there, there's this uh, new emergence of how we balance both. Something else I saw that was on the agenda for the this year at Bar Convent that I've seen you write about before is this idea of avoiding burnout, of work-life balance. You know, to to people that have been in the industry for a while, or perhaps are even brand new, are there general tips or watchouts you might have? Because obviously this is an industry that can be uh, pretty hard on people, even maybe even more so historically than now, but just in general, the, the grind can wear you out. So any tips out there for people listening? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of commend also the fact that we have these conversations now. Um, you know, they would not have been sold out conversations 10 years ago or longer um, because it was kind of a, 
a bit of a taboo to talk about. It's like, no, 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 I can hit every event at this, this, and that. And now it's like, it's okay to say, I'm going to, um, you know, make, make time, personal space, uh, make sure I work out. You know, it is, you know, bartending is a physical job and you're often on your feet for long periods of times. And if you're not keeping your body healthy um, and working it, uh, stretching, getting your mobility, you're not going to be able to do it for a long period of time. You know, I see a lot with um, chefs, right? They get back problems and this and that. And make, carving out that time for yourself is so important. I've seen, um, you know, what I love about this conversation is that you see a lot of um, bar managers and and people thinking about that for their teams um, and restaurateurs and, and bar owners thinking about that for the teams, trying to give them two days off in a row. Right. So that way everyone has at least two days to really be able to kind of get their life together, do what they need to do. You know, the first day after a long stretch of working night shifts, um, you know, it's it's just like recover, uh, get these things done. But then you have a whole nother day to get, you know, to do the things you've been trying to do. It's a very rigorous schedule. So I think these conversations about how we talk about it, you know, like how you you know, like the whole idea of the guest shift, which is the conversation that we're talking about is that, you know, there are, you can may, stay in this industry, have a healthy lifestyle and, and make choices that are work for you. Um, you know, I, I've seen a lot of bartenders who have chosen to stop drinking. Um, you know, I've, some of my peers have chosen that path and have still been successful opening bars or working in different uh, transitioning into brand work and maybe working with non-elks. Um, so there are options and opportunities, um, but also you can, you know, just if you find that balance, you can stay in this industry longer and have that um, that thought process ahead of time. But that's, that's what it's about. It's about just thinking, being mindful um, about every part of this industry. And, and that pertains to, um, the mindful way that we build drinks, uh, interact with our, our guests, with ourselves, with our peers, um, and how we just, just really, um, just make those choices for ourselves. And that's what I think is good about the conversation. It's, it's not going to be, you know, everyone has a different path and a different way of achieving certain things. And it's just going to be, um, a, an expression of how different people have worked through a lot of those things. Um, but everyone has to kind of find resources, but it is, it's good to see that we have more of that, um, being offered in the industry in general. Um, I'm also on the board of restaurant workers community foundation and a big part of, um, what we talk about is mental health and burnout in our, um, industry. So, um, but having resources, I, I, I do like that we're having more access to that now. You mentioned, uh, RWCF and that got me thinking about a question I'd had. So based on, timing or just the fact that maybe, uh, you know, pricing, everything is seemingly just in crazy expensive right now. If someone can't afford to, or just can't make it to Bar Convent Brooklyn, but they're looking for uh, resources regarding kind of uh, having a more sustainable uh, life in, in the industry, is RWCF the place they should go? Or are there are there resources you would recommend they look at? Yep. RWCF is a great place. Another round, another rally. It's also another uh, industry um, tool um, that offers um, some stuff. Um, if you ever, there's a few other places like Southern Smoke um, that helps with more, a little bit of a crisis funding. So um, if you need things or, you know, let's say you get injured and, you know, you're stressing trying to find, you know, the navigating all of the, the local disability 
uh, information when you're when you're hurt on the job and all this stuff can be really complicated. But a lot of these places have, um, including the USBG, have bartender emergency assistance programs. That's the one that USBG does called Beep. But there are a few out there, so you can always research and get into uh, those organizations. Um, but looking up how you can get some access to some some help. So myself being uh, someone that is newer to the industry, I, uh, you know, one of the things I think about is, I, I wonder for people out there listening, or just in general, I, I, I think about sometimes the arc that we've watched the culinary arts undergo, that uh, generations ago, chefs were kept in, you know, the basement of, you know, restaurants, and just it was kind of a forgotten profession. But uh, now, of course, we see celebrity chefs, chefs on TV, uh, and kind of cooking is a, this thing that is done right up in front of guests. And I wonder at times, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, you know, for people that are contemplating mixology, bartending, the industry as a career, but are wondering like, oh, but would, would I be cooler or more important if I was a doctor or something like that? So what would you say to someone that's on the outside looking in of the industry but maybe second-guessing whether it's truly a noble profession. And I don't mean this in a denigrating way towards you and me. Just um, I didn't know if you have thoughts for someone who might be uh, thinking about getting involved but hesitant. Yeah, I mean, at, the, at our heart, we're, we're uh, entrepreneurial. Um, it's kind of how I, I pretty much look at it mostly for um, – you know, what we do, you know, once you get into this world, there's so much more um, than just, you know, mixing behind the bar for a few days a week, there's so many more opportunities that you can have. Um, You know, I always tell people the best things to have in your belt would be business background. Um, You know, that's a lot of things that I feel like most of us realize we're missing at a certain point of our careers, like, man, it would be really great to have a business degree, or some sort of business training to read contracts or get into negotiations, uh, especially if you're being offered partnership, ownership, things like that. There's a lot that, you know, maybe uh, newer people in the industry don't know. And so, you know, you're getting offered these deals. It's like, you will quote unquote own this bar. Um, but those deals don't actually look like that. Um, they're actually not at all that way. And it's and it's not protecting the the artist in the situation. Um, so I think there there is a bit of... Um, you know, coming into this field uses a lot of different skill sets. Um, you know, people who ha- have been historians or are good at research, um, like, a, you know, Dave Wondrich, it's like, that's his background. And he's made a career in this industry. Um, there's other people like that who then write books and, and things for, for folks in the industry who are, you know, some sociology, all these other things can come into what's happening. Uh, anthropology in a lot of ways um, into the this industry, not just the art of specifically mixing. So I think the industry at large can can bring in a diverse group of individuals who want to uh, be in this space. So whether you choose to work brand side, um, you know, or in trade engagement, which I think are great places for people who, um, you know, once some people are not going to just be, you know, mixing. Uh, they'll want to kind of move on and, and go into other areas. Uh, but I think it's great to have people who understand um, the basics getting into those areas rather than it always just being people coming from, you know, ex-grad school into business grad school into um, these marketing roles. And then they don't actually have any lived experience in the space. So if you're one of those people 
who wants to eventually and has a business degree and wants and up there, I encourage you to maybe start working in a bar too and learn how um, it actually works from the ground level. Um, Cause if you were going to be making uh, plans and, and all these things for um, trade, well, you know, for a consumer, it's important to understand them in the environment where you're trying to, to reach them. Um, so I, I argue that it's a bigger, a bigger sort of career at the end of the day. And as much as it's grown, there's just so many things I've seen cocktail photographer, you know, a lot of the bartender and quote unquote mixologist folks have found, have side hustles that are adjacent to the industry that, you know, that's where I say we're entrepreneurial. So you're living that in that bar environment and taking that skill set, and it's helping to promote your other career that you're doing or, or it works in tandem with that to grow your photography or this or that um, writing, all that stuff. I would agree that uh, as I spend a little more time in this industry, it is the nuance and the layers of different uh, groups of people out there that exist is just baffling. And so, yes, yes to that. Yeah, and a lot of public speaking is involved in this industry, too, at the end of the day. So, you know, and some people don't are not on that side. You know, some people don't want to. There's a, you know, bartenders are like, you know, all I want to do is do what I do. I make drinks in a bar or restaurant. I, I work with my, I get creative. I work with my guests. I don't necessarily want all those other things. That's great too. There's lots of space and place for those people to thrive um, in this industry because we need people who are, you know, the, who are really great at that, at logistics and, and making things run and making it better. Um, so I, that's off to those people as well. Yeah. I think as, uh, as, Pretty much is probably the case in almost every industry. There's uh, the handful of people you see up front, and then there is the army of people in the background that actually help uh, turn the wheels of the, the machine in the first place. And uh, so as we kind of move towards wrapping up, uh, circling back to BCB for just a moment, uh, for someone that might still be on the fence, they need a little bit of a nudge. I'm curious if, uh, if you'll give them a one last uh, push on why they should perhaps attend this year. All right. So if you are on the fence about coming to BCB, um, I encourage you to go ahead to the website, take a look at the education. Um, there's going to be a lot going on in uh, Brooklyn that week. Uh, a lot of uh, global international uh, friends I've seen are coming out and are going to be doing pop-ups and also uh, around the show. So there's going to be uh, two vibrant days of tasting, education, and then also New York will just be buzzing and alive. So if you have been back, come back. We are ready for you. So I have one last question uh, before you go today. I once saw you write that uh, a thing that you felt like perhaps should go away or people should uh, think twice before they do is uh, barrel aging cocktails. I was just intrigued to kind of see this and was curious if you wouldn't mind expanding on that a little bit. It's a lot of things to do with, for me, it's with tannins and, and um, the palate when you're working with uh, food pairings. Um, you know, so things, you know, the barrel aging cocktails are, it's such a delicate art um, for people to do it well. You have to be really cognizant of um, the, your, the levels of, of tannins and things um, in your base cocktail that you're putting in. Um, and all other congeners, because it's going to extract from those little baby barrels. Um, so there's a little bit of a science and, and, and forethought on what that end product's going to be like. Um, and like lots of things that it'll change. 
So um, you have to have that understanding that that cocktail is going to change, um, you know, when the barrel's full, half full, um, how you tackle that. So just it takes a lot of experimentation, a lot of practice um, to work with that. So for me, I like to have, you know, the kind of things I would barrel age would be things that are a little bit more could stand alone, Manhattan's uh, all Negroni variations. But, you know, again, those can, can have a lot of bitterness. So I, I balance it by maybe changing my spec a little bit. Uh, so that way I'm counting in what the wood notes are going to bring to it. Terrific. Lynette, it was wonderful chatting with you. And thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. We're very excited. It's going to be a busy June in New York, but we're ready for it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you liked the interview, the transcript and show notes are located at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself, Chris LeBeau. Subscribe to avoid missing an episode. And if you think this is good stuff, share it with a friend or review us on your listening platform. And check out our newsletter, Cocktail Confidential. Remember, the best way to get better at mixology is to practice. And the best way to do that is in the company of friends and family. Happy cocktailing, everybody. Thank you.